0: good to see you tonight and glad that you're here with us. Welcome to Hagues. It's good to see them again. appreciate that they're among us. Uh, we appreciate the reading of God's Word in Philippians 4 and we'll use that uh, in just a few moments as we turn our attention to the lesson that we announced earlier today, learning to be content. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we hope that you are not content in being lost. We hope that instead that you will uh, see your urgent need to be saved from your sins, to respond in faith, to repent of your sin, to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. We want to stand ready to help you accomplish that as you respond in faith to the Gospel call to be saved and to serve Jesus. Of course, we stand ready as God's people to help as well in praying together if there's need of prayer in your life, and if you need to use this opportunity to correct sin and repentance, to acknowledge that and to, to go to God in prayer together, we certainly want to assist in that as well. So, uh, we God's invitation will be at the end of our lesson. And of course, God's invitation is always there, always ready to save us uh, as we turn to Him. we we'll talk about learning to be content as the verse discusses contentment and some of the aspects of it. It, it really is a fundamental... Idea that we all need to, to need contentment in our lives. Um, there are all sorts of things in our lives that that can keep us from being content. Now, immediately we see in verse eleven, and and uh, that that Paul eleven and twelve says he's learned to be content. So, we want to talk about not only what contentment is, but we also want to talk about learning contentment. You know, we have to face health problems, sometimes chronic health problems, uh, financial concerns, uh, family concerns, grief, death, loss, other emotional traumas. Faith is tested. Uh, Faith is tested in, in all sorts of ways. And the idea of being able to be content in the circumstances that we face in life is really germane to living a life of faith and walking by faith, not by sight. Um, How do we accomplish that, though, is our our question. How do we do that? You know, the Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, To to kind of turn that that thought a moment and, and make an application from it, in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 9, it says, that which has been is what will be and that which is done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun fact is that mankind since the introduction of sin into this world has lived with this this draw and this temptation not to be content in the circumstances of life in the situations of life and and the the, the temptation to turn away from god and and so the idea that that you perhaps at this moment in your life are struggling with being content, I want you to know that's not a new thing, but that there's answers for us. There's answers for you in God's Word. That that God's Word is going to reveal how we can learn to be content and show us the lives of other people recorded in the Scriptures that we can learn from. People who've already passed from the scene of this earthly stage who had to, to address the issues of contentment or the temptations of not being content. And so, and so, I guess what we're saying at the very outset is this whole subject of being content uh, is, is not a, a subject that um, uh, is insurmountable. It's not something that is beyond our grasp, beyond our reach. Paul learned it. And uh, he said he was the chief of sinners. So now, if, if Paul could learn contentment, I believe that we can learn contentment. And that's what we hope to be able to accomplish as we give some attention to God's Word for us in our lives. As you say, I, there's no, I, I suspect that if we were to just take time to, to go around the room, uh, knowing each other as we do, I believe we could all say, you know, we, there's all... All of us are tempted not to be content that there are situations and circumstances that our lives that are in our lives that if we allow them, they can be points of such distraction and discontent that that we fail to live the life that God wants us to live to be the Christians God wants us to be, uh, and in fact to sin against him rather than uh, learning contentment and living uh, the contented life of the Christian that is possible for us, because our faith is tested. All these things test our faith. So, so let's let's begin by getting a, a, a definition of contentment that we can find in God's Word to help us. And so, let's go back to Philippians uh, chapter four and see if we can begin to, by just saying, well, what does it mean to be content? The word itself means sufficient in oneself. It's the idea of adequacy, of, uh, of, of being strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support, is what one of the de- dictionaries, one of the lexicons gives us as a definition. Um, enough, sufficient, adequate. It's the idea of adequacy that is independent of our external circumstances. Our adequacy is not defined, our sufficiency is not defined by the things around us, by the material uh, things, by even the people around us. Uh, And Paul said, I have learned in verse 12 how to be abased, that is, how to live humbly. And I know how to abound, that is, I know how to live in prosperity. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. So so and we'll look at those words learn in a minute and that be an important part of this of this study tonight. But before we were able to look at that uh, that idea of learning, we need to know what it is Paul was learning. He was learning sufficiency. He was learning to 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 have enough and recognize enough and to be strong in that to be adequate Now, of course, he tells us the point of strength is Christ, verse 13. The idea of adequate or sufficient in oneself is not that I'm the strength within myself, but that that whatever is in my life, it is enough because of the strength that we have through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, for example, Luke 3 and verse 14, John was telling soldiers to be content with your wages. Be content with who are you content with your wages? what does that mean is it adequate are you do you have an attitude of adequacy of sufficiency? and what does that mean? Does that mean never be interested in in advancing never be interested in any improvement in that just what does all that mean We're going to try to answer some of that as we go on But he told soldiers if you're going to change your heart and he's talking to him about repentance in Luke thirteen. Uh, and they said, well, what, should, what shall we do? He said, be content with your wages. You want to change your heart. So, so contentment is a hard issue, no question about it. It's an attitude of mind that's going to demonstrate itself in, in uh, really how we address the, the circumstances of our life, whether it's a, a chronic ailment, whether it's dealing with grief, whether it's, it's um, a spiritual struggle, uh, whatever, you name it. The ability to, to have a heart that is sufficient in the strength that Christ supplies is our objective. In First Timothy six, verses six through eight, Paul said that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these we shall be content, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts that drown men in destruction and perdition. He really gives us a key there in that text of understanding contentment on the one hand and the lust to be rich or covetousness on the other. Contentment is in some ways the opposite of covetousness. You see, because covetousness is that yearning desire uh, to seize other things, but contentment, he says... Doesn't have that love of money, verse 10 goes on to say, it's not this scribing this, this after the riches, and, and, but he says, godliness combined with contentment then is great gain. It, 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 so there's a different measurement. We're going to find out as we go on that, that if we're going to be content, learn contentment, we're going to have to have a different measuring system than what the world generally has. And uses hebrews thirteen and verse five, for example, brings up this same basic thought when it said, "Do not be covetous, let your conduct be without covetousness. be content with such things as you have so there again is the the contrast between covetousness and contentment so so if i 'm going to be content i 'm going to avoid i 'm going to avoid covetousness i 'm going, going, going to put away this this yearning desire. Of those things that are beyond me, or that belong to others, that I that I begin to be resentful or bitter over because they're not mine, and yearn and misvalue and put greater and wrong value upon such things, and turn my attention away from God. Because you remember that Paul in that same text of Philippians four, four through fourteen, that he's urging us not to be anxious, not to have a care that distracts us from uh, the things that we've learned and heard and seen and, uh, and, and in the Apostle, but to in fact have a mind that's set upon the things of Jesus Christ. So, so, to be sufficient, to be adequate, to have enough, and to be strong in that which we have, to have a strength that of satisfaction that exists. So So to learn contentment is this idea of valuing things properly, valuing spiritual things above material and physical things. You see that in Philippians, the fourth chapter, as Paul said. You see the, the value system that he used, and it wasn't uh, his contentment wasn't that, well, when I abound, I'm content, but when I'm abased, then I'm discontented because he, didn't, he did not assess and value things from a, from a this world point of view. Now, look, note with me in Proverbs 30, verses 7-9, through 9, that, that if we're going to develop a heart of contentment as we face life's traumas and trials and losses and challenges and, and those things that can drive, draw us away from faithfulness, then we need, to, we need to learn the balance of faith, the balance of contentment in our lives. Here, uh, the proverb says, Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. All right? That's a statement of contentment as well as Honesty. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Find the balance. He says, feed me with my food that's allotted. Sufficiency. Adequacy. He says, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The the wisdom here is uh, to seek a balance between the things of this world and the things that are eternal, the things that have to do with God. He says give me neither poverty nor riches. Because both of those hold uh, their own uh, basket of temptations. He says, let me find the balance. Just give me the food that's adequate for me. That's allotted to me. Trying to learn contentment is finding that balance in our lives. Of contentment with the adequacy of the moment. With the adequacy of where we are. And yet, also... Understanding that that with our opportunities or our blessings, we have opportunities to be involved to some extent in in that whole matter. More on that in a minute. It's about it's about setting and keeping our priorities, isn't it? It's, and really, it's about assessing our, our circumstances within a faith context. There's a man in Luke nine fifty seven. He said, "Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go." And Jesus' answer was not "Don't follow me." His answer was, "Understand what that what that means." He said, "Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head." Now, to follow Jesus requires sacrifice in our in our context of understanding here. That would require making a priority in our life, and of such a nature that we will find ourselves at times where we must sacrifice uh, things of this world. And we need to be content with that. We need to say that's okay, that's sufficient, because you see my priority is following Jesus. And so, while things occur in life, they are not going to distract us from... A fundamental attitude of adequacy in Christ and the strength that we need, the strength of faith required to understand God's going to see us through the moment, see us through the trial, and bring us home to glory. But we've got to have the right valuing system, and quite frankly, the world, see, it doesn't value things the way God's people are supposed to value things. That's why... People love money and they fall into temptations. They desire to be rich. They desire other things than the Word of the Kingdom. Remember the parable, the the thorny soil. It cares of other things. Squeeze the Word of God out of people's lives. We cannot let that happen if we want to learn contentment. We have to work at remembering to value things from a spiritual perspective, from a faith perspective. Perspective from a word of God perspective, rather than how the world defines success, value, uh, and 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 adequacy. Okay. Now, we also need to know what contentment is not. Contentment is not complacency. Now, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can begin to think that well, you know, to be content, that's just I'm just not going to really care, I'm just going to kind of be complacent. just kind of, kind of just whatever comes my way and think that's contentment. that's not Bible contentment. I would argue in Ecclesiastes chapter four and verse seven, look, he says, again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. Now this also is a vanity and grasping for the wind. Now we pause there for a minute. You know, he says there's, there's advantages to skillful work, but, but in the end, you know, that's not going to save your soul, but in fact, sometimes when you're skillful at something, other people envy you because of it. Now, that doesn't mean you, you stop being skillful. <laughs> you say, well, I'm not going to use this skill or develop this skill. No. He says, don't, make, don't put all your eggs in that basket. Remember, he's talking about life on this earth. What life on this earth is all about is more than that. Understand what comes with that. Then he goes on to say, "The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. The fool becomes complacent. He doesn't develop his skill. He doesn't develop his capabilities. He just folds his arms, folds his hands, and he gets nowhere and and to his own demise. Better now. Watch this, verse six. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind." He's talking about balance here again. He's saying a handful with quietness. What is a handful? That's sufficiency. That's adequacy. That's contentment. You see? Contentment and the quietness that comes with contentment. There's a quietness, a peace, a tranquility that comes with contentment as opposed to striving after those things that ultimately is just grasping for the wind. Riches. You know, a skillful work and making that the aim and that the goal and that's what life's all about. He says, if you try, if you're doing that, you're just trying to catch the wind. Now, but that doesn't mean not to use your skill. No, it doesn't mean don't don't do any good work. Chapter five and verse twelve, he'll say again, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. So he's not saying don't labor, don't. Don't be involved in bettering your situation in life, but understand uh, and and value things from a from a a, a spiritual perspective. Sleeping sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. You see, when says so, there's their own temptations that come with riches, or with poverty. So, what does he say? He says. Don't be complacent. Don't just fold your arms. Use your skill, but don't make that the end all. Verse 18 will go on to say, It's good and fitting for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God has given him. It is his heritage. We have a heritage to labor. Contentment is not complacency. And said, well, I'm just. this is just the way it is. I'm just... Just going to be, just not going to do anything. No? He says labor. You have an opportunity to improve yourself, you do it. But you understand and value that in the proper perspective. You understand that when, you, when all that's said and done, that's not the essence of, of what life is all about. There's something more crucial, more fundamental. And so now you're able to value things and begin to value and graduate the value of things properly. So it to develop an adequacy, an attitude of adequacy, whether you have a little, whether you have a lot, whether you're hurting at this moment, or everything's good at this moment, whether you're grieving a loss, whether you're, you're enjoying a benefit, whatever, wherever we are on that spectrum, that we apply ourselves and use our opportunities, not just develop a complacent attitude. You see, contentment is not resignation. It's not, it's not a fatalistic view of life. It's not the case, Sarah, Sarah. Whatever will be will be. No. no, we have a say in what will be. There's some things beyond our control. We'll talk about that in a minute. Learning contentment. But there's some things within our control. And we need to learn the difference. We need to learn the difference. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life which He has given you under the sun. All your days of vanity. For that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it with your might, for there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. He doesn't say, live a life of resignation. Live a life of fatalism. He says, enjoy life. Enjoy life with your wife. Enjoy the relationships of life that God's blessed you with. And understand that life on this earth is not the sum total of who you are. And if you do, you'll end up understanding life is vanity. Fear God and keep His commandments is the whole of mankind. That's what our existence is about. In the meantime, as we're dry, keeping God's commandments, fearing God, now we have a basis not just of surviving life, but of thriving in the Lord. And that's the call of contentment is a life that's free of covetousness, free of envy, you know, Psalm 37 and Psalm 73 both warn against envying the wicked, envying the unrighteous, envying those who appear to prosper, that appear to never have any trouble. And then we look at ourselves. And we say, why? why isn't the wicked person experiencing all those things? And of course, the wisdom is to realize you're not seeing the total picture. There's the end of the matter. The end of the matter. When someone ignores God, turns away from God, there's the end result that they're refusing to see and to live by. And we must not fall into that same temptation. Ecclesiastes 6, and we had part of this on our chart at the beginning this evening. Let's begin reading Ecclesiastes 6 now in verse 7. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. In other words, there's, there are desires. If we think life is all about just fulfilling our desires... I want something, I, sh- I should get that. That's what being, being happy is all about. He said that's going to be vanity and grasping for wind. Verse 9. He goes on in verse 8. What more has the wise man than the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This is vanity and grasping for the wind. Verse nine, he had, he extols the benefit of contentment. Better in the sight of the eyes. Better, you know, a hand, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. What we would say, who was it? Benjamin Franklin said that. One of the one of the souls, but God said it long before they ever did. Better in the sight of the eye. So. Now we're going to begin to learn how to be content. I got to learn to see that what I have is better than what I'm dreaming about that I don't have. What I'm becoming covetous about because I don't have it, that I'm becoming discontented because it's it's not there. He says, "Better in the better in the sight of the eyes is the sight of the eye than the wandering of desire." Is discontentment sin? Is, are we talking about something that's sinful here? Or just something we shouldn't do, but doesn't really matter? Well, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Galatians 5.22 But if joy is a fruit of the Spirit, then if I don't have joy in my life, isn't that a work of the flesh? If I'm discontented then I'm not expressing the joy that ought to have in Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in the glory we have. We talked about that from Romans 5 this morning a little bit. So if, I'm, if I'm, I never see myself as having enough, satisfied, adequate in the moments, how am I expressing and bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Joy. You see, discontentment crowds out faith. Jesus, warning against that, said uh, in Matthew 6:30, If God so clothes the grass of the field today he is, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith? Therefore, do not worry. The idea of little uh, uh, of anxious care, of discontent, is little faith. Little faith. And He wants us to have. Large faith he wants to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and not be distracted, so it's this contentment sin when i'm when i am just not content with the circumstance of the moment in my life to the point that it crowds out my faith, and I begin to doubt god and and question god and and and, and... well of course that's sin of course that is you see. Discontentment crowds out godliness and thankfulness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. If I'm consumed with not being content, I'm not being thankful. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not taking time to be thankful. I'm consumed with feelings of, of, of being less than what I ought to have and be or I'm facing a trial that others don't face and, and that consumes me and that overwhelms me and that that immobilizes my faith. And so I no longer walk by faith. I end up with my feet in cement, unable to move forward, onward and upward to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I, I I'm I'm stuck because I'm valuing things here and now and I've forgotten about eternity. Now, if that's not sin, what is it? You see, discontentment fills us with our own ways. Think about this with me. When I become discontented, isn't it because I've become consumed with myself and, my own, and, 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 and the things surrounding me? Look at this proverb. Proverbs fourteen thirteen and 14. Verse 13 says even in laughter the heart may uh, the heart may sorrow and the end of mirth may be grief laughter is not uh, forever laughter can have an element of sorrow in it uh, and 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 you know even times of joy are also tempered by grief but now verse 13, uh, 14 the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways but a good man will be satisfied from above. Satisfied from above. Adequate. Granted those things needed from above. The good man will be. And he'll be content with it. He'll be satisfied. He'll have adequacy. But the backsliding heart... Why does the heart backslide? Because it's filled with its own ways. It's not filled with the ways of God. It's not filled with seeking the strength of Christ. Philippians 4.13, it's filled with trying to find contentment within itself. And that's a striving after wind. That's grasping after things we're never going to grab and hold on to. Not for very long. So how do I learn to be content? As I face life's trials and struggles and disappointments and heartaches and chronic illness and grief and death... And separation and loss. How can I be content in a life like that? How can you? Here's how we can. We can learn to be content. word learn, that Paul uses first of all in verse 11, means to increase in knowledge. To hear and to be informed. And it carries an idea of also learning by use and practice. To be in the habit of... Something Jesus learned obedience. That was His habit. We have to set a habit in our life, a conscious decision to be content. We have to commit ourselves to that thinking process of adequacy, of sufficiency, that this is enough because I value things spiritually and eternally, not as a here and now. There is something more and better and beyond here have to learn to do that if I'm going to learn contentment. Now Paul uses another word in verse 12. Philippians 4.11, he said, I've learned to be content. In whatever state I am to be content. But then, he said, I have learned how to be abased and how to abound. The word learned in verse 12 is a different word. That word means... To initiate into the mysteries, to, to, to bring some in, someone into the knowing of things that otherwise are unknown. In other words, Paul says, I've learned the secret. By the habit of by, by knowing what truth is and by committing myself to the habit of contentment, I've learned the secret. And the fundamental secret, he says in verse 13, is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the fundamental secret of it all. Christ is the source of the strength that He needs to be content with a little or a lot. To be to have an attitude of sufficiency. And to know that in the sufficiency there is victory in Christ Jesus. It's not resignation. It's not complacency. It's not fatalism. It is It is, as we're going to see, doing what we can do, but at the same time recognizing and knowing that we're relying on the Lord in everything we do. Because we're trying to live by faith, not by sight. Now, let's try to to put some application to how to. How do I learn to be content? By looking to Jesus. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. I've got to look at Jesus and I've got to give a really, really hard look at, at Jesus and keep my eyes on Him when I face things in this world, situations of this life that would try to overthrow me. He says, We also, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was not, did not live a discontented life. Jesus lived in contentment. And yet, he, was, he endured the cross and sat down at the right hand of God. He endured. We've got to look to Jesus to, to strengthen our faith. Because He's promised, I'll not leave you. I'll not forsake you. So, we've got to to lean upon Christ Jesus. After all, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. Now, he says I can do all things. Could He remove His thorn in the flesh? No. That's qualified. But He could do everything God wanted Him to do. He could do everything Christ wanted Him to do by the strength of faith that He had in Jesus. And you can do everything God wants you to do. And you can face every situation in life that you must face when your reliance is upon the strength that's found in Jesus and your faith is in Him because you know your treasure is not here and now, it's in heaven. And you're laying up treasures in heaven. When we forget that, when we forget the trust in God that makes us more than conquerors, then we begin to falter. And it's an ongoing thing. It's not, you know, like everything else in the Christian life. It's about growing and maturing and sustaining that faithfulness. We rejoice and we weep. We grieve and we re- and we 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 have a, uh, good times. But in all of that, a little or a lot, in humility, he said, "I know how to live with humble means. I know how to prosper." But you see. He was able to, 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 to keep his focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, as we do that, here's what we need to, 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 to accomplish we need to distinguish between our wants and our needs. If I, want to be, if I want to learn contentment, I'm going to have to learn the difference between the things I want, I want desperately at times, and the things I need. You see, God promises my needs when I have His priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added. The things that He said will be added is food to eat, something to drink, and clothes to put on your back. Well, we think we need a lot more. I need the internet. I need cars. I need a tractor. I need a this and I need a that. And God says, learn what you really need and what it is you just want. If you want to learn contentment. We're going to have to learn the difference. We're going to have to distinguish the difference. You see, God doesn't promise to give me all my wants. He doesn't. 2 Corinthians 12 verses 7, 8, and 9 Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he wanted that removed. That was his desire. But God said, no. He said, I I, I beg the Lord. I, I pleaded three times. Lord, please remove this thorn in the flesh. Paul wanted that removed. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now... Here's our challenge. It's the challenge of faith. Is that when we don't get the answer we're looking for, that we know the answer we get is the best one for us. So Paul says, remember, I've learned to be content. And I'm strengthened by the Lord. So therefore, I most gladly will boast in my infirmity, in my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. How powerful it is for a person who has some weakness that they will not allow to overwhelm them but will continue to live a life of faith and dependency upon Christ. That's the example I want to follow. That's the example I want to be. I can't be that if I'm not content in my life. If I don't learn to be content, I cannot be that kind of example Paul was and 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 I can't be what God wants me to be. But to accomplish that, I've got to distinguish between what I want and what I need. And we've got to be content with that. And we've got to see that. That God hears and answers our prayers, and He answers according to His will, and His answers are for us. We've got to find the benefit in the moment of trial. And that requires faith on our part. It does. How is there anything good in the moment of pain and anguish and suffering, of loss, of uncertainty? Where is there anything good there? And the good is not going to be found within ourselves. It's going to be found in the Lord. It's going to be found through a life that's depending upon His favor, His grace to see us through. It's not going to happen unless we distinguish what we want and what we need. You see, how do I learn to be content? By valuing what's truly important. Martha, you know, when Martha complained about Mary, she didn't just complain about Mary. She said, Lord, don't You care that my sister isn't helping me? Martha complained to Jesus about Jesus as well as her sister. Don't You care, Lord? And that's what happens when we become discontented. We start blaming the Lord. Lord, don't You care? Don't you care that my son is in sin? Don't you care that I've lost my, the most treasured person in my life? Don't you care, Lord, that this chronic ailment is debilitating me? Don't you care? Of course He cares. Of course He cares. But you see, the temptation of being discontent is to turn my attention against God rather than come to Him and rely upon Him i'm going to value truth and righteous things proverbs i'm sorry psalm thirty seven sixteen and seventeen psalm thirty seven sixteen and seventeen got a lot of material tonight i we're gonna we're going to plow through this i think it's worth it psalm thirty seven and verse sixteen says a little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. You see, I've got to value righteousness better than unrighteousness, better than the moment. Righteous things has to be my place of value. Or I'll be overwhelmed by discontentedness. Proverbs 16 and verse 8. Justice. God, God says, I've got to value what's just more than what I want. I've got to want justice, you see. Proverbs 16 and verse 8 verse says, Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. I, I can get all kinds of wealth, all kinds of revenue, but if it's ill gotten, it's nothing. It's going to destroy my soul forever. I've got to value what's truly important. Eternal things. Righteous things. Just things. If I'm going to be content. If I'm going to be content, learn contentment, I have to learn that my state is not my state of mind. My circumstance, the state in which I find myself in the moment, is not who I am. Think about that with me. You see... Your circumstance does not define who you are or who you will be. Paul said, by God's grace, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. Now remember, he said, I've learned, have a little, have a lot. Live with a little, live with a lot. I'm content in those circumstances. Because Paul knew his circumstances didn't define who he was. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10 and here's my question. Are you allowing your circumstance to define in your mind who you are? Because if you are, I want to lift you out of that way of thinking. You need to put a re-emphasis and realize that we are what we are by the grace of God and His dependency upon Him. That we are lifted out of our circumstances to contentment regardless of what those circumstances are. Look and look at what else Paul said in that verse. He said, "But I labored more abundantly than they all; yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me." Here is that contentment's not complacency and resignation. He labored; he did what he needed to do, but he understood his circumstance didn't define who he was. In Hebrews the eleventh chapter thirty-two through thirty-nine, there is a list of men and women of faith. And we add Jesus and His apostles to that great list of men and women of faith. The Old Testament and the New Testament. And throughout all of that, you remember one of the primary points he made? And he describes people who were, who were torn asunder, who lost their children, who, who were deprived, they were afflicted, persecuted. The verse says, of whom this world is not worthy. Their circumstance did not, did not define who they were. You think they lived with contentment? I, I believe they did. In fact, the verse says that in so many words. It describes. You, you can't live that kind of life that these people lived without valuing things eternal. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin, goatskin, destitute, afflicted, tormented. They wandered in desert, mountains, dens, and caves of the earth, all these having attained a good testimony through faith. And through the Christ received the promise. If I'm going to be content, I've got to understand my circumstances don't define who I am. Don't let your circumstance define who you are. But trust the grace of God, the favor of God in the moment and throughout your life to, to, to labor in faith to be all that God equips and enables you to be. How do I learn to be content? I rely on the strength of Jesus. I rely on, on His presence and the power that comes from Him. Go with me please to Ephesians chapter 3 for just a moment. I want to set this passage in front of you. It's Ephesians 3, 16-21. The power to cope in the moment comes from Christ through faith and sustains us through all of our trials. Paul's prayer for the brethren is that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, when Christ is dwelling in our hearts through faith, we have strength that comes from God. And that enables us to find contentment even in the moment of trial and tribulation. Paul was in that moment. He was in prison right then when he wrote this. But he's praying for his brethren in Ephesus. It's a prayer that God offers for us to learn about and to be a part of as well. He says, if I'm going to cope, I've got to see my power comes from Jesus. I've got to know the love of Jesus. Verse 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We've got to live by faith. We've got to trust in the love of God that fills us with the fullness of God to learn to be content. We've got to rely on Him in prayer. "...and patience. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that's in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen." Oh, by the way, this is the same Paul that God said, no, I'm not going to remove the thorn in the flesh. Now, see, Paul could and he wrote this later, by the way. He could have said, well, he can't really do everything because he didn't remove my thorn in the flesh. No, that's not the way Paul thought at all. He said he can do abundantly above all that we ask or think. In fact, Paul had such an attitude, he said, because I rely on the strength of Christ, He has the power to see me through this moment and to excel in this moment of trial and pain and hurt. So, you see, it's about our faith in the strength of Jesus and the grace of God and the love of God to patiently endure and rely upon His power in our lives. We do that by being obedient in faith. Obey. He says, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You learn contentment. You stay busy obeying God and relying upon His strength and love in your life. You know what, if I'm going to be content, I've got to learn what is and is not my capacity and my responsibility. No, we take too much upon ourselves that God doesn't put upon us. Sometimes we don't take enough. We've got to have the wisdom to know what is and is not our capacity and our responsibility. Think with me about Job for a minute. In one day, he lost all of his possessions and all of his children. And it says, he arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and he worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. Now imagine, you, all of your possessions in, in one sweep, they're gone. And your children, they're dead. And Job worships. He mourns, he grieves and he worships. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Now, you say, well, Job, you know, as it goes on, Job doesn't seem very contented. Well, he had to learn his contentment, didn't he? He had to learn some things. We'll come back to that in a minute. But you see, this is the attitude... That's going to see us through the hard times. It's going to see us through the loss. It's going to see us through the pain. It is I'm going to rely upon the presence of God. God is to be praised. God is to be feared. God is to be worshipped. God is to be trusted. Amen. There's some things out of our control. Job didn't have control over what happened to his properties and his family. And he didn't, and he understood that and he learned more about it. But we got to learn that if we're going to find contentment in our life. Jesus, you know, here's an interesting thought. Jesus had the capacity to call tens of thousands of angels, legions and legions of angels to, to rescue him. And he didn't use that capacity because he knew it was against the purpose of God. You see, we cannot find contentment in violating God's will and think that that's just. See, That's not true contentment. Thy will be done. You see, He had the capability, but He didn't use it. He surrendered to the Father's will. If I'm going to be content, I've got to learn what I can do and what my responsibility is. At the same time, there are times I have to surrender myself. To the Father's will. And he was content to do that. What a tremendous example of contentment for us to follow. To, live, to to put into our own way of thinking and conduct. Look at Paul. You know, Paul was arrested and there was a threat against his life. Now, he didn't just resign and say, hey, whatever it will be, will be. You know. No. In his, he's content in the Lord, but... He did what he was able to do to adjust his circumstances. His nephew, he sent his nephew to the commander and told him these 40 men have made a vow they're going to kill Paul, going to murder him. You need to protect him. And they protected Paul. You remember later he appealed to Caesar. You see, the idea of contentment is just I'm never going to do anything to try to adjust my circumstances. But it is having an adequacy of heart that recognizes when I do what I can do, I'm relying upon the Lord throughout it, through it all. Paul said that he labored with his hands to improve, to improve his circumstances at times when he was in need. We've got to learn what's in our ability and responsibility and what's not as we try to be content in life. And of course, we need to be thankful. If we're going to be contented, then in every circumstance of life, we need to find gratitude. And you say, how can I find something to be thankful for when my spouse dies or when disease comes or when grief and, and uncertainty, when, when these things pile up, how can there be anything to be thankful for? And I say, only, in, only through faith. In faith, there's many things to be thankful for. Many, many things. In everything give thanks. First Thessalonians five eighteen. We need to count our blessings. Count our blessings. I know though you know what's the old adage? I'm not I sure I'm gonna butcher it. You know, I felt sorry for myself that my I had a hurt leg until I saw the man who didn't have any legs. Right? So so the idea is let's count our blessings see, even in the moment of trial, we have others that can support us, We have others to help us. We have a, a, a lot of blessings. All spiritual blessings are in Jesus. But I've got to learn to rely upon those blessings. Trust those, Count those, and be thankful. Gratitude makes what we have enough. All right? Gratitude makes what we have enough, and there's contentment. We need to guard against destructive attitudes and actions. Galatians five twenty four through twenty six. Because you see, the temptation is because of a present trial that we begin to be envious of the unrighteous, or even envious of the righteous, and covetous, and resentful, or frustrated, and depressed, angry. We can either, even sometimes, resort to to sins, outward sins. I don't have enough. I steal. I'm discontented with my mate, so I go and take somebody else. Commit adultery. You see, we've got to guard against those attitudes and actions. We've got to bear the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, 24 through 26. How do I learn to be content? That's my hat. We've got to make that our habit. We've got to make it our habit to respect the sovereignty of God. You see. Job did not charge God with wrong, but as, as he went along, he, he began to question some things about God and, 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 until God explained it to him. <laughs> and Job repented. And sa- it says he, he abhorred himself and repented in dust and ashes. And the fundamental thought there is Job came face to face with the sovereignty of God. God, God was ruling over things that Job had no idea about. When we face something in our life and we just think that we're at the end of our rope, we need to understand who made the rope. You understand that we we know virtually nothing about it. God is sovereign over all. We got to trust him. We got to trust him. Don't charge God with wrong, but humble ourselves before God. We got to make contentment our habit, brethren. Because Jesus made obedience His habit. He learned obedience by the things which He suffered. Could it be that in my moment of suffering, here is my very occasion to learn to be an obedient Christian? To learn to put myself under the will of Jesus rather than my own? Undoubtedly. You see, contented people are equipped... To strengthen and serve others. The discontented are not equipped to serve anybody. You want to overcome, you want to develop contentment? Get busy serving other people. And you say, Well, I can't. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Paul's thorn in the flesh didn't hinder him, didn't keep him from serving. He trusted the grace of God, he lived a faithful life, he did what he could do. And beyond measure, rather, we need to overcome temptations of not being content by committing ourselves to looking outward instead of inward. Look upward instead of inward. Go back to Philippians 4 as we close this. And I appreciate your patience in all of this study. Philippians four thirteen and 14. Look what Paul said there and concluded. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And and then in verse 14, he said, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, all the while in Paul's distress, he's looking to try to encourage them. And now he's thanking them for sharing his distress. As he goes on to say, they sent him some needed support at that time of his need. If we're struggling with contentment, realize the devil's trying to get us to just look at ourselves. He wants you to focus on yourself instead of Jesus. He wants you to focus on yourself instead of others. He wants to focus upon what you don't have instead of what you do have and the blessings that can come from what you do have as you rely upon the Lord in your life. Let's develop and keep contentment. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us as we live by faith, not by sight. I hope the study's helped you. And I hope if you have questions, I'd be glad to study it more with you. But if you're not a Christian, you need to not be content being lost. You need to respond in faith to obey the Gospel and be saved. And live by faith. And trust the blessing of God's grace to save you. And so you can serve Him faithfully from this day forward. If we can help you become a Christian or correct sin as a child of God, won't you please come while we stand in sin?